Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If you're willing, would you stand with us as we spend some time worshiping through song this evening?
Uh, please be seated. We welcome you to this Ash Wednesday service. Uh, for some of you, this might be a brand new sort of a thing. For others of you, it's become very familiar. Uh, Ash Wednesday uh, is part of Lent. It's the, it's the day we launch Lent. This season, uh, literally it means spring, uh, but, but early on the church figured out that we as people needed some structure to stay focused on Christ, and, and we needed our own seasons of, of renewal. And so in, in the mid-4th century, around 340 A.D., Jerusalem, imagine Jerusalem. It, it's a city that has been through a lot of pain, a lot of war, and it's, it's building itself up out of the rubble. Uh, and and uh, there's, there's some people who are followers of Jesus. There's some people who think they're followers of Jesus. There's some people who are in, in, indifferent. And a man named Cyril, God calls a man named Cyril to come and be uh, the pastor of the church. He's the bishop of Jerusalem. And he, he is very wise in the way he looks around the city. And so he starts inaugurating things like Lent uh, by saying, you know, it's Easter. 
And in these next 40 days, we want to give ourselves a chance to really focus on who Jesus is. And he would say to the people, perhaps you're here with a really pretty girl, and you're hoping to get close to her, and so you showed up at church with her. You're very welcome. Perhaps you're a guy who wants to impress his boss. Your boss is a follower of Jesus, and you're here today. I see you just call everybody out. For whatever reason you're here, uh, maybe this is a great season in your life, and you want to present yourself to God and, and tell him how awesome you are. Maybe you feel like this is the biggest uh, downer of your life, and you don't deserve to be in God's presence, but somehow you ended up here tonight. Some of you are simply people who are wanting to grow strong in your relationship with Jesus. He pretty much would name every possible category of person, and he'd say, all of you are in the right place. Because in the next 40 days, we want to make room in our lives to have a fresh look, or perhaps the first look, at who Jesus is. And so Ash Wednesday is the kickoff for that. Uh, the idea is that let's, rec let's recognize our absolute need for God's absolute grace. It's not a day or a night of humiliation. Uh, you're a worm. Uh, you, you, uh, you, know, you, you uh, don't deserve the grace of God. Rather, it's saying, let's remember that we were made in his image. We have been lost to him by our own indifference, our own rebellion, and he invites us to come back into a relationship with him made possible through his shed blood on the cross in Jesus Christ. And so, really, Ash Wednesday is simply a marker that says, oh, my gosh, let me... Uh, commit myself to, to the, for the next 40 days uh, to, a, to a period of renewal, remove some of the clutter, focus on Christ, maybe start reading my Bible again or read it maybe in a different way. Maybe look at some of my habits and patterns and say, which of these do I want to see change? And so Ash Wednesday, uh, commemorated by Holy Communion and this mark of ashes. The ashes simply say, um, you know, from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We are nothing but for God, but in Christ, we become beloved sons and daughters. And the ashes at that point aren't marking us with humiliation. They're marking us with the abiding presence of Christ. So by the end of the night, as you leave, you can have ashes put on your forehead or hold out your hand as you walk out following communion. The whole point of this is to help us as people of every age and stage to say, Lord, remind me, renew me refresh me, refill me. So we thought this would be a great opportunity uh, to invite our dear friend Tuvia Zareski uh, to come and, and walk us through Passover. Passover being the, uh, the key focal point uh, in the Old Testament and really for Christ and, and his ministry in the New Testament to say it is God himself who delivers us. And the Passover points to Christ. Uh, it's, it's immersed in everything that Christ would come to do. And, and Tuvia's going to walk us through that. Tuvia um, grew up in a Jewish family uh, and uh, in the early 70s met Christ. It's a very powerful story, overcoming all kinds of um, ideas he had about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And out of that came uh, a movement. Uh, he became part of a movement of young people saying, we want not only to know Christ, we want to represent him to fellow Jews. And out of that came this movement, Jews for Jesus. Uh, TV has been an integral part of the leadership uh, since then. Um, I wish I, could, I had the time to give you all the details of what an amazing guy he is. I think you'll figure it out as you hear him speak. What I most appreciate about Tuvia is his love for Christ and, and his love for people in Jesus' name, whether he's serving in the United States or around the world. Uh, he's also created some fantastic resources. Some of those are going to be available on the table as you leave tonight. What we want you to do is to open yourself up 
to the Lord. And as you hear two of you walk you through the meaning, the deep meaning of Passover, let this be a marker and a launcher for you, for all of us, as we enter into this season of Lent. And so, Tuvia, uh, thank you so much for being here yet again. It's a privilege to call you a friend. It's a privilege to call you a colleague in the gospel. And uh, thank you for being really um, God's hands and feet, uh, a voice for him uh, worldwide. And tonight especially, we thank you for taking the time to, to be with us. So let's welcome Tuvia Zareski. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. It's a privilege and an honor to be with you uh, this evening, especially this night. Um, I try and tell people there's really a lot of reasons why I shouldn't be here. I was raised in the traditions of Judaism, and everything about it told me that Christ wasn't for us, and uh, um, everything that we do is, as Christians really had nothing to, to do with our people. I didn't. We were talking about both of us come from a faraway exotic land called San Jose, California. Uh, and I, I didn't get a chance to tell you this, but I, I, had a, I went through religious school and Hebrew classes at Temple Emmanuel in San Jose. And one of my, uh, two of my teachers were actually also from San Jose State. One was our Hebrew teacher, that was uh, Uzi Justman. The other one was Uri Benjamini, who was our religious teacher. And during our class, when I was about 10 years old, one of the kids in our class asked that classic question. It was, it was December. We were celebrating Hanukkah, and all of our friends were celebrating Christmas. And one of the kids said to Mr. Benjamini, so who is Jesus? Mr. Benjamini said, Jesus? Ah, that's a good question. He was a, he was a rabbi. Uh, he taught. He was a hacham, a wise man. Uh, and he was a bit of a prophet. But kids... He was Jewish. Until he converted to Christianity, then he wasn't Jewish anymore. <laughs> we learn culture and we acquire. That's what I acquired about Christianity, and that's what I acquired about Jesus. It was about 13 years later that the Lord showed up in my life and showed me what the truth was. And so I'm, I'm privileged to be here tonight as a brother in Christ. But I bring kind of an unusual experience and background, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this because over these next 40 days, we are moving toward the celebration of the resurrection of the Messiah who brought us salvation and changed our lives and our eternal destiny. And the elements that we're going to, to partake of tonight come out of this ancient Jewish celebration, this biblical celebration of Passover. And so what I want to do is reach back into my own heritage and culture and experience with Passover and open to my Christian family and friends what has been very much a part of our own experience so that yours might be fuller through this presentation of, we call it Christ in the Passover. And so that's what we're looking at tonight and that's where we're going with all of this. Um, the, the ordinary, the Passover celebration is traditionally held in the home rather than in the synagogue. It, it was uh, something that was ordained by God uh, in the book of Exodus. And we always begin in our home by lighting the candles. As the evening starts, it begins a brand new day. The Hebrew calendar is, is cyclical, beginning with, with the, the sundown of the day. And as we would do that, we would light the candles, and we would bless and sanctify the time to the Lord. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Asher Kitshanu the Hadlik Ner Shel Pesach, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by keeping your commandments and lighting 
the candles, the festival of Passover. Now, as a Messianic Jew, we're thoroughly convinced that we're not sanctified by keeping the commandments, the mitzvot. We're sanctified by what Jesus did for us. And so that last, the last part of that blessing would come out. We give you thanks for Yeshua HaMashiach, or HaOlam, for Jesus the Messiah, the light of the world. And so our Passovers now begin with our ancient heritage and biblical faith united in our love for Jesus, who's made everything new for us. And so that's how we begin the night. Why did and how did Jesus come to celebrate Passover? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. If you, if you have your Bible, if you can see it, you might have it on your phone, or I'll actually have it up on the board here on the wall. Um, uh, it was required of our people. It was required to, to come to the city of Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate these, these festivals. And we, we read it in, in the book of Deuteronomy. God tells my ancestors, three times a year all of your men must appear before the Lord, your God, at the place he will choose. And then he names three festivals. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's the Passover. The Feast of Weeks, which is 50 days later, you know that is Pentecost now. And the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the ingathering festival at the end of the year. It's a harvest festival with a last harvest moon in the fall. And so Jesus, as a, an observant Jew, would keep this festival. And with throngs of Jewish people from all over the diaspora and from inside Judea, the land of Israel, would go to the city of Jerusalem to keep the festival, as it was said, to appear before the Lord God at the place he chooses. That was the, the holy temple in the city of Jerusalem. Keep in mind today that that temple no longer stands, hasn't stood since in 70 AD, and even before that, when it was destroyed the first time. And so Jesus goes to the temple that had been rebuilt by Herod, and it was his, as was his practice. And there are three festivals that are all part of this, um, the three festivals that come the, in the springtime, it's not just Pasto, Passover, but it's called the, the Feasts of, of Israel, in, outlined in Leviticus chapter 23. But in the springtime, there are actually three feasts that happen together. Passover, during which we, we remember that our ancestors, our Jewish people, were literally saved from bondage, extracted from slavery in the land of Egypt as our nation had, had grown and become uh, an independent body, as God had promised he would, would create, coming through the, the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. During that same week-long festival, when we commemorate our redemption from slavery in Egypt, we eat unleavened bread. And we ate that bread for a, a week as we transitioned from slavery into the wilderness of Sinai, as God prepared us to enter the, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, as he promised and then also during that time was a feast of first fruits during which we would, would inaugurate um, a 50-day period leading up to the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost in which we would commemorate what God has begun, he will conclude, he will finish, he will accomplish his, his will and his purpose. So this is, this is Passover. You'll notice during this festival that there are at least those two elements, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover, which are, are described together. And... Um, uh, in, in those festivals, we, we hear the whole story told about our redemption. This is the bedrock. This is the background to what we celebrate as communion, when I say we, the body of Christ, 
what we celebrate as communion. And so we're heading to those, that table tonight, and I want to see you where those, show you where those elements come from, the bread and the cup of, the, of wine, the, the fruit of the vine. They come right out of the ancient celebration of Passover. So Jesus goes to the city of Jerusalem, as was his practice, as an observant Jew, keeping the commandment in Exodus chapter 18. So we look in, in Luke 22, and we'll see the historical scene that uh, set the stage for all that we're going to study tonight out of this ancient celebration of Passover. We read in Luke 22, verse 1, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called Passover, was approaching. You notice that the two names mentioned there, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover. Passover commemorated the slaughter of lambs in Egypt. I'll go back and tell the story for us. And the bread was very much a part of the commemoration because that was the bread that we ate again as God brought us out of slavery and into the promised land, or into at least the Sinai wilderness. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. That's Luke 1 and 7. Those were the, the dates. Those set the, the dates for us. So we know that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and when he arrives, the, the, the festival is about to take place. He's there with his disciples. Um, and and um, he looks for a particular room that was set aside for them. But we can't just go and, and uh, sit down some, in a restaurant. Uh, this was in the home. So they had to find a home and they had to prepare it. And the, there are preparations for Passover that are commanded in the scriptures. Um, there are things that uh, um, we have to do and things that, that have to be cleansed. But at the preparation for Passovers in, in Luke uh, um, 8, the very next verse, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And as I said, there are, are things that have to be prepared and things that have to be removed. Um, just before Passover, and this year it'll be on uh, Friday night just before um, Easter Sunday, um, our families would begin this preparation. And the first thing that we have to do is remove things from our house. And so in, in our homes, we're going to go and look for all the leaven that's been baked in anything that's in, in our house. And leaven is a, a picture of, of uh, sin. It's uh, chametz. And so we would go through the house to, and take up all the leaven that uh, might remain in our house. We'll put it in a paper bag. Um, it's either taken to the synagogue where a bonfire is burning, and we throw it in the bonfire and, and consume it. Um, or we might just take it next door to our Gentile neighbors and give the bread to them. <laughs> hate to see it go to waste. But we would say at that time, Lord, hold not against us any leaven that might remain in our homes. We've done all that we can to prepare our houses and sanctify them to your celebration, your worship. Interesting that the Apostle Paul, I think thinking Passover, says to the body of Christ at Corinth, Purge out the old leaven, because you're a new lump. And he's ta not talking about our physical shape, he's talking about our spiritual shape. And he asked the, the body of believers in Corinth to examine their hearts and re-sanctify themselves to the Lord, set their lives apart to him, and invite him to come in and cleanse, make them whole, that they might worship him. And the basis of that, it's interesting, Paul adds the words, for Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. For the Messiah, Christ, our Passover, the Lamb of God, has been sacrificed for us. 
let us enter the feast with joy and thanksgiving. Interesting to see how these ancient heritage and biblical truth is woven together with our New Covenant, New Testament faith and welcomes us to that table. And so we pray before we take those elements and remember what God has done for us. We also have to prepare some items, and the rabbis tell us, they point out that in the scriptures, there are three items that have to be on our table. And uh, uh, we have at our, our Passover table a, a Seder plate, which, which you see here with six compartments on it. Each of those compartments holds some of these items that we have up here, uh, beginning with the bitter herbs. Now, bitter herbs is not hard. That's onions, horseradish, leeks, garlic, scallions, romaine lettuce, those, those things that remind us of the bitterness of slavery. We have um, fresh ground horseradish root. It's like uh, Jewish dristan. <laughs> good. Okay. Uh, the bitter herbs remind us of, of the bitterness of slavery. We also have the, the lamb that's a very, very much a part of our, our Passover celebration. In this case, you'll notice that it's a bone, the shank bone of a lamb, the zoroah. We keep that on the table because the rabbis told us that you can't eat lamb at Passover time today. The only place that the lamb could be slaughtered and offered was at the temple in Jerusalem. But that temple's been destroyed. And so we keep a symbol by which we will tell the story of Passover. And I'll reference that later. We also keep an egg on the table. It's a symbol of life. A single seed. And we will crush that egg as the temple was crushed, that we might remember why we can't offer the lambs. And there's often a, a blessing and a prayer said, maybe next year the Messiah will have come, the temple will be rebuilt, and we can keep the Passover in the city of Jerusalem. Always this longing in Jewish tradition and culture that we may have that opportunity to go to God's house once more and be with him. What a longing. And yet it's something that is a part of my passion for my own people. That that temple, that temple has been fulfilled by the coming of Jesus. And we do have the Messiah. And when he comes, it'll be his return to call us to himself in joy and, and holiness. Um, the last thing that has to be part of our, our Passover celebration is the bread. Now, I, I know, because I know this, when, when Leonardo da Vinci came along and, and painted his picture of the Last Supper, a Passover, he painted it according to his own culture. And so it looks kind of Italian. <laughs> I mean, all those guys sitting on one side of the table, we would never do that. You know, in their poses and so on. Did you ever notice the bread at Leonardo's table? He painted it according to his own culture. It's Italian bread. It's, it's okay, it's what he's pictured it, but if he'd gone to a Jewish Passover, he would have found it was unleavened bread. Bread without leaven doesn't rise up. That's a loaf of Passover bread. <laughs> My wife, Ellen, tells me, Jewish believer, she says, you need to give Leonardo a break because how do you paint that? <laughs> it's just a square, you know, it just sits there on the table. So we have this as, a, as part of our Passover celebration. It's very important. We actually keep a, a, a special bag on the table called a matzatash. That bag is uh, set aside for a very special purpose. It contains a very important piece of matzah. That, but strangely, this bag is divided into three compartments. And in each compartment is a piece of unleavened bread. 
three in one. You didn't let me down. Everybody always goes, hmm. <laughs> That's good. Yes, and I would ask my father, why, why are there three pieces of matzah in a bag that symbolizes unity and oneness? And one year he would say it represents Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the next year he would say it's the, the Kohanim, the priests, the Levites, and all the rest of Israel. And then my grandfather would come along and he would say something else. We have a, a saying in the Jewish community where there are three Jews in discourse, there are four opinions floating around. <laughs> so I never understood it, not until I understood from the New Testament that it was written in the Old Testament that God has made himself known as Father, Son, and Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. We reach into the Passover bag, the Matzatash, we withdraw the middle, the second of those three pieces. It's uh, held up by the Father, broken in half, one half returned to the bag out of which it was drawn, and the other half placed in a linen cloth and wrapped and hidden or buried for a time during the remainder of Passover. It's called afikomen, or he who comes later. Don't forget that one. We'll come back to it. So bread, lamb, bitter herbs. We're ready to celebrate Passover, and that's what Jesus did. So we read in... Um, the next slide. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles were there. They left, they found things just as Jesus told them, and so they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. I'm not going to go into a whole lot about that one, but I would just say that they weren't sitting on benches. Jewish culture is an Asian culture. We would sit at a table that was only one cubit high, 18 inches off the ground, everybody reclining or lying around the table on pillows in close fellowship. That's what explains why John was lying there with his head against the chest of Jesus. They were in very close, reclining fellowship around that table. Helps to understand the culture that you're reading in, along with the grammar. There's no mistake in, this, in the language that was used in the scriptures. All of it is there for a purpose. And so we, um, we pace ourselves through the evening. It's a long evening. Um, can last anywhere from three to five hours. We have a, a book that guides us through it called the Haggadah. It means to tell. We use it to tell the story of Passover. I encourage Christians to do this. You can, you can celebrate Passover in your home. And if you're not sure how to do it, um, I've got a, a, a book on the table that, that might uh, encourage you and give you something to, to practice over the next 40 days, just once. Um, but we also have a way to guide us and, and pace our evening. It is by raising our cup. Everybody has one cup, but it's raised four times on the night. You have a, a little brochure that you can take home tonight. I realize that the lighting isn't strong enough for us to reference this tonight, but you'll see a picture of a, a Seder plate in there. You'll also see um, the names of those four cups, and they come up here as the cup of sanctification. We drink that at the beginning of the Passover to sanctify or set the evening apart. Second time we raise the cup, it's called the cup of plagues. We remember the 10 plagues that came against the Egyptians and against their idols. After supper, we drink the cup of redemption. We give thanks to God for redeeming us from slavery. And that's the cup that Jesus drank, that we commemorate our redemption from slavery. And the last cup is a cup of praises, the cup of halelim, 
And uh, we'll get a chance to recite that when, before we're done tonight. And so the evening is sanctified with that very first cup, the cup of sanctification. And interestingly, Jesus drank this cup because it says in this passage, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He would have said the blessing, Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us through the, 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 the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine. That's why his words come back here. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Incredible picture of his promise that this was to be his last Passover. For in fact, within 24 hours of this moment, he'd been crucified, laid in the tomb, buried. And yet the promise that Jesus is coming again, that's the until, his promise to return for, for his people, to call us to himself. And so Passover begins. What we want to do is, is um, tell the story of what, has, what God has done. It's all about him. It's all about a commemoration of, of who he is and what he's done. And so a young child is brought to the table to ask, um, why is this night different than all other nights? Well, now it becomes the father's joy to tell the story of Passover. And we use all these items on the table. I want to see if I get the salt water open here. This is ziplocked really well, and I'm sure I'm going to splash myself. There we go. Okay, so what happens? We want to tell the story of, of what God did in Egypt, and we use all these food items. It starts with the story of Abraham, for God, God told Abraham that he was going to be the instrument to fulfill the very beginning promise that God was going to bring a redeemer who would crush the head of the evil one and accomplish our redemption for the broken relationship in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.15. But that was going to require a woman and a seed through a woman and a family and a tribe and a nation. So God sanctified Avram, Abraham, not a Jew, a Chaldean, from the land of uh, what we would uh, see today as, as between um, the right down by the Persian Gulf, over in Iraq today. And he called him out to be the, the father of many nations, but especially one nation through which the Messiah would come, the delivery system of the Messiah. And so we take a piece of mat, uh, parsley, and we remember that God gave our nation life through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob and his 12 sons. They're married wives. They went down into Egypt, and there were incubated for 400 years until the nation exploded into almost two million Jewish people. And their Pharaoh made us to be slaves. We take the parsley, we remember that we were enslaved, we dip it into salt water to remember the tears of our ancestors and our weeping before God. The rabbis say it's not enough just to taste the tears, we have to have our own. And so we take a piece of matzah called a sop, and to fully enter into this experience, we take, remember that fresh ground horseradish root? 
Yep, get a scoop about the size of half a teaspoon. And no, I won't. <laughs> wow, this is really good. Yeah, save this because that will really do your sinuses. <laughs> um, but that's the whole point. It's supposed to bring tears to your eyes and, and um, help you to enter into what the experience of our ancestors was. We also have a, a mixture made of apples, walnuts, raisins, almonds, brown sugar, wine, cinnamon mixed together. It's really delicious and it looks like mud. And it's supposed to be a symbol of the bricks that our forefathers made in slavery down in the land of Egypt. And so we sing songs and we commemorate what happened to us. And we remember that we were enslaved and that God set us free from that slavery. But the night that he set us free, on that very night, he brought plagues against the land of Egypt. And uh, in, that, in that experience, we wept before the Lord. God told us to um, have mercy in our remembrance because the, the cup of plagues tells us that God judged not only the Egyptian people, but the gods of the Egyptians. For God judged against all the gods of the Egypt that I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. I am Adonai. I am the Lord your God. And so we, we take 10 drops out of that cup commemorating the 10 plagues that came against the Egyptians and every one of their idols. I don't have time to go through this, but every single one of those plagues was mocking a, an Egyptian god, one of the, the idols. And so you have uh, the plague of Zvuvim, the plague of flies, against the lord of the flies. The second to the last plague was the plague of darkness. It told the people, don't worship the creation, the sun, worship the creator because God himself blots out the sun. And then on this night, we have the last plague, the death of the firstborn male, man and beast. The only way to escape this plague, we were told, was to have a farewell feast to Egypt and gather in our homes, to set the table with the bitter herbs, the lamb, and the unleavened bread. And on this night, the Lord God told us to slaughter a lamb. But I want you to read, the, read with me this passage in Exodus chapter 12. For God told us on this night, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb, a lamb that was one year old, male, without a spot. Tether it by your house for three days, but on the 14th day in the month, when the moon is full, slaughter the Passover lamb. And then take a bunch of hyssop, it's a leafier, feathery bush, dip it into the blood in the basin because you'd cut the throat of the lamb and poured out its blood into a bowl. And then put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. And no one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Watch with me carefully. For the father dipped the hyssop in the blood and then splashed it, as it says, on the top and two side posts of the door. And from that moment on, the doorway was sealed by the blood of a lamb splashed over the door. The door was sealed. No one could come in. No one dared to go out because in that night God came upon the land of Egypt and executed judgment against all those who were not sanctified under the blood of the Lamb. And the Lord God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you so that no death, judgment, or destruction fall upon those who trust in the blood of the Lamb. 
This is the heart of the story of the Passover. It is all about the Lamb of God. It foreshadowed the coming of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through his body and blood given for us at the cross of Calvary. Not splashed upon a door, but splashed symbolically or figuratively, however you want to put it, upon the doorway to our heart, which has been opened up by faith to welcome him in. The last two elements of this Passover are where we go from this table to the one we're going to celebrate tonight. For immediately after the supper, the children are going to run around the house looking for that piece of bread that was wrapped in linen and buried for a time. They will bring it out and give it to the Father who unwraps it from the linen cloth. And he takes the bread as we have done for centuries. He would break pieces off the sides of an olive and he would give them to each person at the table. My father did this. My grandfather who came from Belarus did this. My, my religious teachers did this. More importantly, Jesus did this as he celebrated Passover. But we're going to read together in Luke Chapter 22, verse 19. He took some bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so it is out of the ancient celebration of Passover. In the middle of remembering the bread of affliction that our forefathers baked in the land of Egypt as we came out of slavery, that Jesus took that bread and he said to his followers, as often as you do this, remember my body given for you, that you might know that your sin has been atoned and there is no brokenness that can keep you separated from the Father any longer. That bread, when we take that, is an expression of our heart of thanks for what he's done for us. The very next thing that happens in Passover is raising a cup. It is the cup after supper called the cup of redemption. And you'll read in Luke 22, verse 20, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we take that cup, we give thanks to God for the the blood of Messiah poured out for you and me that we might have new life, new life, eternal life, a relationship with him. For that's what eternal life is. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and the Messiah Yeshua whom you have sent, the Messiah Jesus whom you have sent. Shortly we're going to come to that table and remember that we have been redeemed from the Egypt of sin. And on this night, we can say with the, um, with the Jewish people of, of old and with King David, the psalm that, that we sing at the conclusion of Passover, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his loyal, loving kindness, his chesed, his mercy, endures forever and ever. And so let's come to his table with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts for all that he has done for us that we might be here tonight set free from the Egypt of sin to experience that relationship with him. Mr. Steve.
Thank you. Well, as I said, this is a season uh, of refocusing, uh, of renewal, and of repentance. Uh, repentance is simply aligning yourself with God's purposes. Uh, it's confessing your sin. And as the scripture tells us, uh, John writes in his letter, 1 John, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, we do this on a regular basis. So it's not unique to do acts of repentance uh, during Lent. It's simply a way of focusing again. Uh, it's, it's setting it back to the start. So in this repentance and claiming forgiveness and realigning ourselves with him, uh, typically the church historically has said our behaviors uh, need to be aligned with God's. And so what kinds of things can we do? So for example, if you're a very fashionable person and you wake up every day thinking, what am I going to wear? What will I, what will I look like today? Fantastic. It's a wonderful expression of God's creativity in you. But perhaps this then is the next, in, in this season of Lent, you say, you know what? I'm going to intentionally dress simply. For those of you who live a very, very, very full and busy life, we should be 110% of the people here. Uh, Lent is an opportunity to say, what can I do to simplify my life over this next period of time? Now, just a, just a technical note, because some of you will do the math and say, this is more than 40 days. Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday is more than 40 days. So it's within that period of time. Some people count, Ash when, uh, count Lent as the first Sunday after Ash Wednesday to the Thursday night that we call Monday Thursday. Some would say it's Ash Wednesday to uh, Easter, but we discount the, take out the Sundays. Um, make it really simple. From Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday is the season of Lent. And so in that season, uh, it's not just giving up something to impress God. It's saying, I'm going to take away everything I can to live my life as simply as possible for that season. And the things we give up are things that might be so um, important to us that we build our life around that. Now, I know some of you are saying, I know what I'm going to give up. I'm giving up lima beans. <laughs> Good for you. That's a really big first step. I think that's a laudable thing to do. But really what we want to do is, is to move beyond, I give, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. I mean, I'm giving up, you know, whatever for Lent. It's that what I want to do is give up me for Lent. I want to say, Lord, what work do you want to do in me? And so if you read the Bible every day, read it in a different way. If you don't read the Bible, start reading the Bible. If you find your, your life is built around social media, do everything you can to minimize uh, any aspect of social media. You get the idea? It's customized to you. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The season is, but within that season, what do you think would help you refocus on God? What do you think it would help you to do uh, to receive in a fresh way the fact that God loves you and forgives you and is working in you? So here's the creative part of Lent. It's not a mindless 40-day season. It's a mindful 40-day season. So what your job is, is beginning tonight and going forward until Easter Sunday, to take a good look at you and say, what is it about me that I want God to speak to? What do I think I could benefit from in terms of taking some steps forward in my faith with Christ? If you're in a life group, ask your life group. You know me pretty well. Do you think there's anything that I should focus on 
in this Lenten season. Yeah, you're way too hard on yourself. You're always criticizing yourself. You need to see this as a season to receive the affirmation of God. Or you know what? You're really afraid to look at some deep things that you keep talking about, but you don't do anything about. Maybe this is the time to do that. See, see, it gets very personal. Those people you trust, those people who you, you would consider wise people, let them be part of this Lenten experience for you, giving you some wise counsel and feedback. But you see, it, it's your experience in the Lord. Jesus spent 40 days preparing himself for his ministry. Why not spend the next 40 days saying, I want to capture from the Lord, from his word, insights into who I am, where I am, and what he is calling me to be. Go online and look up Lenten practices and, and maybe borrow some things. In any case, what will you do going forward? Tonight, uh, as you leave, uh, three things. Uh, one is that uh, Lent uh, is a, typically a, a season where we give special care to the poor. And we do that symbolically tonight by uh, making a contribution to our benevolence fund. Uh, that is money that goes absolutely 100% to people in desperate situations. We have a team of people who are very wise and discerning. They meet with people and say, how can we help you? So the benevolence fund is something you can contribute to. Secondly, receive Holy Communion as you walk out the door. Pause at the door. You'll hear the words, this is Christ's body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. The third thing is receive the imposition of ashes. Again, this is highly symbolic. It's simply the ashes from the previous Palm Sunday are ground up with some olive oil into a fine, soft uh, paste. And you have the mark put on your forehead uh, or on your hand, either your forehead so uh, others can see it on your hand so you can see it, whatever you prefer. And again, this is not a superstitious thing. This is just a, a tactile reminder that you belong to Christ if you have received him as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, perhaps tonight as you leave, leave with the knowledge that, Lord, I do want to know you. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want to begin it tonight. And let that cross be the mark of you starting a new life in him, the, the communion, your first communion. You follow that? And as you leave, please leave in silence. And once you're outside the door, feel free to talk to people. And then please stop at the table. There's some really helpful material there uh, that will help you focus and, and give some shape to your Lenten experience. And, and so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you all. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him in this season of Lent, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.